0: Welcome back to Held and Healed. I thank you for taking the time to join us and learn more about resources that are helping people recover from all forms of abuse. And I am indebted to those who have gone before me and have taught classes, written books, started podcasts, and just done this amazing work of advocacy. And I have just been able to learn from some of the absolute best. And my heart's desire is to share some of the resources with you so that you can take them and glean from them as well. And I just want to start by saying this podcast is not meant in any way to take the place of licensed therapy. It is also not meant to be the end-all be-all for legal counsel. This is just me sharing some of the things I have learned, some of the nuggets the truth bombs, the light bulb moments, and then passing those resources on to you so that on your healing journey, you have some tools to help you and you have these tools to help you as you are reaching out to other women who may need them. Also, I want to give the domestic violence hotline information. So as we are going through today's show and talking about the ins and the outs of the different types of relationships. If you find yourself in a destructive relationship, that you would reach out and this hotline would help you to find a plan for safety. So the domestic violence hotline is 1 800 799 7233. That is 1 800 799 7233, which is also the word safe, S A F E. And that would be a great resource to tuck into your phone and have handy for yourself or someone else. I also want to invite women to join us at Held and Healed. It's a group on Facebook and you can just search in the search engine on Facebook and say Held and Healed Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. There are a couple of intake questions that you can answer and um, you need to be a lady to join us. That's just something I am doing to help my ladies feel safe. I don't for one minute believe that there are not safe men in the world, but many uh, women have been hurt deeply by men. And so for this particular group, it is for women only. But if you are um, a pastor or um, counselor or another person who is, is a male who wants to help women and wants to learn how to be a safe person for them, you are welcome to message me at heather-elizabeth.com. If you scroll to the bottom, there is a contact me option. That's heather-elizabeth.com. And you can just say that you want some resources and I will gladly give you some resources. So we definitely need men in this fight and in this battle. And I have some great ones lined up that are gonna be doing interviews with me in the near future and I'm excited to introduce you to them. I'm always um, just doubly blessed when a man takes a stand to protect women. It's one thing for women to stand up for women. It's kind of what we were created to do. It's kind of what we do. We do it well. But when a man says enough is enough and stands up to other men and says this is not acceptable and this is not how Jesus would respond, this is not how Jesus would treat her, it just does. It does a really deep work and is part of our healing. So... Okay, I also uh, wanted to give a shout out and give some great props and credit to Leslie Vernick. If you do not follow her yet on social media, please follow her on Facebook. Leslie Vernick is an amazing warrior. She does a great work in teaching, speaking, writing books, and mentoring and coaching um, women who are on their healing journey. And one of my favorite quotes from Leslie Vernick, if you stay, stay well, if you leave, leave well. If you stay, stay well. If you leave, leave well. The focus here, the importance is safety. (laughs) And that is why I'm here. I want women to be safe and I want them to be well in their bodies, in their minds, their spirits. I have been on a journey for the last five years of fighting for my health, my body, my mind, and my spirit. I was one sick mama at this point five years ago. I was recovering from all kinds of crazy viruses. I had adrenal fatigue, I had the Zika virus, I had the Lyme, I had neuropathy in my legs, burning, stinging pain, I could barely get off of the couch. And I had to work every single day and I had to fight for my right to be well. So I did major, major changes in what I eat and the environment around me and removing toxins in my food, removing toxins in my personal care products, removing toxins in relationships. That's a really, really important one. And I am not the same person that I was five years ago. And I am grateful, so grateful for the healing that is coming for me, has already come, and I want to share the things that have helped me with others. So Leslie is the author of The Emotionally Destructive Relationship and The Emotionally Destructive Marriage, which are great books that I would highly recommend. So we come to this portion where we are going to break down kind of the ends and the outs of what a difficult marriage looks like, what a disappointing marriage is, and what a destructive marriage is. So I'm going to begin with the difficult category. Every marriage goes through seasons of difficulty. Every marriage goes through seasons of disappointment, or most, I would say. But not every marriage is destructive, and we're going to distinguish those from each other today. So a difficult marriage has many external stressors, which may include remarriage, blending families, work stressors being in the military health issues extended family dynamics finances if the couple is relatively healthy they can navigate these challenges if they're relatively healthy individuals they can navigate these challenges with mutual love and respect and this becomes an opportunity to unite and grow together Counseling can help this couple who is in a season of difficulty, okay? So these external stressors are out there. Most of us have experienced some, if not all of those, especially in the past year, 2020 and 2021, have been intense. Intense. There are some families that have grown closer together and really used this season to regroup, reprioritize, um just completely rebuild their families. And I celebrate and applaud those families that have been able to do that. Having family game nights, dads taking their kids fishing, mamas that had wanted to homeschool but never felt like they could and all of a sudden they're like, I can do this. Yes, you can, sister. Yes, you can. So there's been some of that that has happened that has been really really good, but most families have struggled and had stressors. So let's break it down a little bit. Okay, remarriage. Remarriage is hard. It's just hard. You're taking two individuals who have their past, their history, what went down, and you're bringing them together, and they are trying their best to make this better than the first time. <laughs> and the whole issue of trust. Can I really trust when you've been through what many of us have been through? Can you really trust another human being to have your back? Can you really trust another human being, at their take them at their word? So there are so many stressors that come with remarriage and then you also add in the whole dynamic of blended families. So, um, sweet friend and I were communicating this morning going back and forth and she was sharing about their first family vacation as a blended family. <laughs> and it was there were some bumps. There were some bumps because you're taking all of these people, all the things that have transpired, all the personalities, all the likes and the dislikes. And you're bringing them together. Kids that are trying their hardest to not be overly loyal to one parent over the other. But no matter what they do, if they say something about mom, it hurts dad's feelings. If they say something about dad, it hurts mom's feelings. Like it's just, it's a struggle that kids find themselves in. So they don't want to bond too closely, quickly to the step parent because they feel like their other parent is going to feel betrayed. It is a hot mess. It's hard to work through. Then as the stepmom or as the stepfather, you may want to make that child feel loved and nurtured and honored, but you're not trying to step in and take the place of their other parent. And so there's just this dance and it's not easy. And I would not pretend to be an expert on this, um, but I just am acknowledging that it's difficult. You have the dynamics of work, which I believe probably most people right now are dealing with the difficulties of learning how to work remotely working part-time at home, part-time at work, trying to homeschool the kids while working. My heart goes out to families that are trying to juggle all of this and do all of the things. So that is a difficult season to be in. For anyone who is military, again, I am not by any means an expert on this, but I have many friends who are in the military and I have heard the stories of how hard it is. You can't really put down your roots in one place before you're moving on to the next. Your loved one is on a tour in an unknown place, and you don't know from moment to moment, hour by hour, day by day, if they are safe. Military is a very difficult, a very difficult thing to navigate. Sometimes I wonder if all the technology and communication makes it easier or harder on military families. So, you know, back 10 or 20 years ago where they would only hear from each other, you know, ever so often. You just kind of get used to that. Whereas now, if you have the ability to communicate regularly and then a day goes by or two days goes by and your mind is just going to the worst case scenario. So I don't know. I'd love to hear from some of you that are military families. Do you think it was harder when you couldn't (laughs) communicate regularly or now when you can? And then if for some reason they go dark, do you just work, you know, imagine the worst health. I have already talked a little bit about the difficulties of health issues. And for me, it was a crisis. I was able to function as a mama, as a homeschool mother, as a volunteer with three different ministries. And then all of a sudden I was flat on the couch and I could not take care of myself. I could not take care of my children and my marriage you know, that's when things came to a head in my marriage. And I realized that I could not do that any longer. And there was no support. There was zilch support from my church family. There was zero support from extended family. I have a couple of really amazing, loyal friends who stood by me. But for the most part, I was just there and I had to figure it out. And to this day, my relationship with my boys is different because I went from being a fully functioning mama to I can't take care of my kids. And that really changed. It, it really changed the dynamics in my relationship with my kids. I love that now I can do for my kids again. I love to be able to cook for them. I love to be able to do their laundry or You know, find them treasures for their apartments or whatever. I'd love to mom them, even though they're, you know, young adult men now. I feel like I'm going back in time and trying to make up for those years that I couldn't really do for them. If you have extended family, there are difficulties that come with extended family. So just different generational curses, family traditions that may be difficult to navigate personalities, addictions, um, all kinds of difficulties come with extended family trying to figure out what you're going to do on the holidays, how you're going to split your time here, or there, everywhere. So many difficulties come in marriage because of that. And then finances. I wonder statistically if couples argue more about finances or sex. I'm not sure. I'm sure they're both pretty pretty tight, tightly connected. Um, those are two really big, um, things that every couple has to navigate and learn to communicate through. One may be a big spender, one may be a saver and, you know, one may be responsible with finances and one may be completely irresponsible. One may want to travel the world. One may want to put down roots and get a house. Like, are these things you should have talked about prior to marriage? Probably. But, Did we really know everything before we got married? Nope, we didn't. So finances can be a doozy. So we say again, if the couple is relatively healthy, they can navigate through these changes. They have mutual love and respect for one another, and they use these opportunities to unite and grow closer together. And for these couples, in this season of difficulty, counseling with a licensed therapist can help to guide them. So that's the difficult category. Now we're going to move on to disappointing. So if you're in a disappointing marriage, you may be realizing, oh, my expectations of this individual are not being met. It's pretty common. Pretty common. God is God, but your spouse is not God. And maybe it took getting married for that light bulb to go on. (laughs) Maybe before you were married, you just thought the sun rose and set on this individual. He could do no wrong. And you were marrying your prince and you were going to live happily ever after. But another Leslie Vernick quote that I love. And and most of these notes today, this outline is coming from a teaching that she did in Give Her Wings Academy. So thank you, Leslie. So she says, I'm not Barbie. He's not Ken. This is not our dream house. Can anybody out there relate? Do you remember as a little girl, I played with my friend's Pepto Pink Barbie house. And it's funny because I had a lot of responsibility as a child. I did not get a lot of playtime. I did most things around the house to keep the house running. By age eight, I could pretty much keep the house running. But when I did have time to play, all that I knew how to play was house. That was it. I did not really have any imagination outside of being a mom. <laughs> Or a mommy and nurturing and playing house. So I remember that Pepto Pink house. And I remember her Barbie and her Ken. And I remember my sunshine family. But this is the real world, sisters. I'm not Barbie, he's not Ken, and this is not our dream house. We say no marriage is perfect. There are always going to be disappointments. But how we handle those disappointments determines our future. So let's say you wake up and you realize this is not what I signed up for. He's not who I thought he was. He's got these habits and these little things that get on my nerves. I've got these habits and these little things that get on his nerves. You know, this isn't. This isn't my rainbow. This isn't my dream. Okay. It's disappointing. Let's just, let's name it. Let's say it's disappointing. Expectations are not being met. Well, let's get with a therapist, a licensed therapist, and let's talk through those disappointments. Let's reach some points of compromise. Let's learn how to communicate. Let's learn how to express what we need to one another. And to our best, you know, the best of our ability, learn to minister to each other's needs. That is a disappointing marriage. And then we move on to the third category, destructive So a destructive relationship, if you go back to episode three of this podcast, I did a pretty detailed post on the power and control wheel. So if you haven't listened to that yet, I encourage you to go back because that is what turns the light on for a lot of people to realize that they are actually in a destructive, unsafe, and abusive relationship. So this may start as soon as the honeymoon. I have one friend who told me that on her honeymoon she rolled over the morning after and she said, my God, what have I done? Like that quick, that quick she knew that something was wrong. And she admits there were red flags prior in the dating and the engagement. There were red flags, but she chose to ignore those red flags. And when she walked down the aisle, she truly believed that she was in God's will, in the center of his will, marrying the man that she was called to serve God with. She really believed that. But on... The honeymoon, the day after she rolled over in bed and said, My God, what have I done? The day after she said, I do, my God, what have I done? So if you are hearing things like, I don't care how you feel, I don't care what you think, shut up, that's stupid, you're stupid, that's ridiculous you're ridiculous. You're just too sensitive. You take things too personally. Nobody likes you. If you're hearing things like that over and over again, you may be in a destructive relationship. Those things tear away at your God-given dignity and value and sense of worth. If you're being called names, and I tell you what, the B word goes through me, shoots through me like no other word. I hate, I hate, I hate that word. That word is now being used in the place of like friend. So young people would be like, she's my bee. I would say she's my friend. And people will now say, that's my bee, And I'm like, you don't even understand how triggering that is for someone who grew up being called that as a child. I was called that as a child. And so that word does not. I don't take that word lightly. Um, and anyone who knows me and knows me well that uses that word against me knows that they are going for a very low blow on me. And they still choose to do that sometimes. So those things are abuse. All right? The behaviors are not acceptable. It's one thing to do or say those things once or on occasion because we are human. We are flawed. We do mess up. We do sin. We do fail each other. But when we do, if we are a normal human being that is healthy and cares and has empathy for the world around us, we're going to drop to our knees. We're going to look them in the eye. And we're going to say, I'm so sorry. And then the very important thing is that we turn, we turn and we repent and we go the opposite direction and we do not continue to hurt that person with those words, with those actions. A healthy person will apologize and repent and the behavior will change. An unhealthy person will not change and will always want to blame the other person. Okay? abusers blame victims for their abuse but that's not okay stop blaming the victim so if you're constantly in conversations and exchanges with someone and let's say that they called you a bad name they called you a name that just cut to the core of your being and so you came and you said hey you know what when you called me this name it really hurt my heart And all they want to do is defend and minimize and blame and shame you for their behaviors. You may be in a destructive relationship. So I know this is heavy. I know this is hard. I sometimes ask God why I couldn't have like a lighter, fun calling on my life. (laughs) But then I remember when I was in the fire. And I remember that I needed somebody to care about me more than they cared about their comfort more than they cared about their popularity, more than they cared about their social standing, more than they even cared about their own personal safety. I needed someone to care about me more than they cared about themselves. And so I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can go back into that fire and pull women out because I know what it is like to be in that fire. I know what it is like to be consumed by that fire. I know what it is like to be shamed and blamed for someone else's horrific behaviors and told that somehow they're my fault, that somehow if I just did X, Y, Z, they would change and they wouldn't treat me that way any longer. And I'm like, okay, I don't have to be fun and I don't have to be funny and I don't have to be popular and I don't have to be liked. (laughs) And people who are abusers don't like me. And that's okay. That is okay. I am not here to be liked by anyone who thinks that it is acceptable to degrade and talk down to another human being. I'm not here to be liked by anyone who thinks that it's acceptable to mistreat or neglect or abandon, abandon their children or their wives. I'm not here to be liked by anyone who has a position of leadership in the faith community and has a public persona and a private persona that do not match up, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I'm not going to be liked by those people, and I'm okay with that. So, I'm here. I'm here for the woman who's still in the fire. I'm here for the children that are still in that fire. I'm here to say that on the other side of walking out of that fire, I have experienced joy, peace, contentment. Do I get lonely sometimes? Yes, I do. Sometimes I do feel alone. But when I think about the companionship that I now have with joy and peace, I'm like, they're pretty good friends to have around. And I remember for years and years and years, I wished that I knew what joy felt like and I knew what peace felt like. And now I can say more days than not, those are the things that walk with me. Those are the things that are close by me. And I have moments where things maybe are hard, but I don't have days and hours on end or weeks on end. And I'm grateful for that. And so I just want to be here to help others know that there is hope that there is healing, there's safety, there's peace. So wherever you are on your journey right now, um, I just want you to know that you're loved, you're seen, you're heard. Please feel free, ladies, to join us at Held and Healed on Facebook, Held and Healed Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. And I think today I would like to end this podcast by saying a prayer, just praying over you. Wherever you are and whenever you hear this, I just pray that you would know that you are loved, that you are seen by God. That He is always, always available. He hears you. He sees you. He loves you. He believes you. So Father, today I come to you and I thank you so much for this opportunity to use my voice to share the hope that I have found in you first. And then also in the amazing men and women that you are raising up as a mighty army to fight, to fight against evil, to fight against darkness, to fight against abuse. Lord, you know how often your name and your word are used and misrepresented and used to hurt and harm other people, God, and how your heart must ache and grieve. But God, I thank you so much for the ones who are rising up to say enough is enough And so today, God, I lift up the women who are still in the fire and I ask God that you would show them that you're right there with them walking through that fire. You are holding them. You are covering their faces and protecting them from inhaling the dangerous gases and things that would kill them, Lord. You are with them. You see them. You hear them. You love them and you believe them. They do not have to explain to you what has been done. They don't have to um, they don't have to prove anything to you because you see it all. You hear it all. You know it all, God, and you are with them in this fire right now in this very moment. And I pray, Lord, that as you walk them out of the fire on the other side, that you would give them a community of men and women who love you, who are informed and trained and equipped, God, to walk them closer to their healing. I ask God that more people in the faith community, pastors and leaders, would say, it's time to learn. It's time to get some training. It's time to get equipped because this is an epidemic and we need to do our part to be part of the solution. And I ask, Lord, that the ones who are equipping, the ones who are teaching and training would be ready and willing and strengthened for the work. It's your work, God. It's your work. You tell us to stand up for the oppressed and to speak up. And that's what we're doing. And we need you. We need your grace. We need your wisdom. We need your mercy. We need your strength. And so I pray that every woman who is still caught in that fire today would have hope that she would begin to make her way out of that fire with you holding her hand and you would bring her to safety. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. So thank you for joining us here at Held and Healed. We will catch you the next time as we continue on our journey. Blessings to you.